Well, welcome everyone. Uh, today, Adrian and I are going to be discussing, studying, reading with you 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And right away, there's just a couple things that jump out. Here's what Peter says. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings. He goes on a little bit more after that. And then if you jump ahead to verse 5, he says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. So he's got this dynamic at play already where he's talking to the older generation and the younger generation. So Adrian, where do you think we should, we should jump in with this passage? Well, like you said, he, Peter's talking about generations and, you know, you're a millennial and I'm a Gen X. And so we get along pretty well. Most of the time. Most of the times. But I kind of want to jump in and ask you, what do you think about when you read Peter talking about these generations? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it starts with, um, it starts with the things a lot of people tend to believe about different generations, depending on where they land. Like the folks that are older than them or younger than them, they have opinions or beliefs or stereotypes about those different generations. Actually, right now, um, I want to ask all of you to start to think of some words you would use to describe maybe the generation above you or the generation below you. Um, those that are older, those that are younger, what are the, what's the picture you start to get right now when you think about those people? And maybe there's like a specific person or a specific age group that jumps into your mind. Maybe, maybe they cause angst or frustration, that age group. Um, start thinking now of someone older and someone younger than you and begin to form that picture you have of them because of, of their age. Um, now, depending on how old you are, you'll have a unique belief or, or understanding about your generation and the generations ahead or behind you. Um, and these beliefs or understandings, probably better stated, yeah. stated as stereotypes and typically negative, typically negative yeah. stereotypes at that, they've been challenging, difficult, and at some points, even dangerous. Um, for example, let's just go over some of the stereotypes I've heard, because this will be fun for us. Um, baby boomers have been viewed as not having the ability to adapt to new trends uh, or ideas. They've been viewed as incapable of collaborating with any generation outside of, of their own. That's, that's baby boomers. You seem very, like you very much agree with that. Gen Xers, Adrian, this one's you. I don't want to hear this. Apparently you and people your age hold the stereotypes of being less cost-effective. True. And not possessing leadership qualities or executive presence. True. You know, I was just saying, are you saying that of yourself <laughs> yeah. or like your friends? Uh, I was just hanging out with a buddy of mine last week that he lives in Oregon and he's a, he's a Gen Xer like yourself. And he was getting really frustrated as he asked me, like, why is all the leadership opportunity and structures seem to be so focused on boomers and millennials? It's like Gen Xers just got skipped over. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't do it. Like, don't. It's your me. fault. It's apparently he thought so. And, and. You know, I, I fall in that millennial category yeah. and, and we're seen as lazy, unproductive, irresponsible, and self-obsessed like we just don't care. And I don't like how much you're nodding your head at that one <laughs> yeah. either. And then there's Gen Z. You have kids that yeah. are Gen Zers, right? Which I don't get them. <laughs> well, I don't think anyone can. Like Gen Z, no one can figure them out. They've got their TikToks, their Twitches, their <laughs> device-controlled world with little yeah. to no human interaction or connection. Um, I always feel so old when I talk like them, them and their devices. Their twitches. Uh, yeah, their twitches. Uh, now, like I said, these are all negative stereotypes. They aren't necessarily true. There's actually a new study that I was reading last week that focused on meta stereotypes hmm. 
what we think other people believe about us based on our age group, what, what we think and perceive. And the study proved that most people don't actually view us based on the stereotypes we just went over, but the belief that they do causes people to get more defensive, less vulnerable, and ultimately cultivate less connection. And when we do that, everything turns inward. And when we, things turn inward, it produces more stress, anxiety, and self-reliance. Uh, in his book, A Disruptive Witness, Professor Alan Noble writes that at the heart of the secular age, where we find ourselves now, is the individual in their effort to create and project their identity in a chaotic and hostile world. Wow. Yeah, I think, I think that's one of the big ways that Peter in this chapter reminds us that as followers of Christ, uh, we're going to look different than the world around us. The world may do exactly what you just read. The world may, and the culture may turn inward. Um, they may do that because of what they perceive people think of them, because of their generation, because of these stereotypes, because of their beliefs about different age groups. But then how are we, the church, going to respond? How do we respond to that? Um, you know, we've learned through this series in First Peter that the Christian faith is absolutely not based in individualism. Right. You know, following Jesus just breaks us of that thinking, but when it comes to people who are older or younger, who are in different generations, we, we have to wonder, how do we make sure that we don't slip back into that destructive thought pattern? Mm -hmm. How do we make sure that we don't go back there? And this is what Peter talks about. This is what he closes his letter with as he talks about leadership. Mm -hmm. um, so right now, open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to be reading there. Yeah, actually, I want to say, make sure you're opening your Bible, your Bible app, whatever yeah. you have, because we're going to dig into these 10 or so verses today. And I think it's important to have this in front of you. So yeah, make sure you're reading along uh, because Peter just in the previous chapter talked about suffering and the role that that plays in a believer's life. Um, and now he gives direction to leaders. And we have to remember that we're all leaders. Um, in our families, uh, we may be parents, we may be the older brother, mm -hmm. the older sister. It may be at work that we're a CEO or a manager or just a coworker. It may be at school. Um, it may be with our friends. We all are leaders someplace in our relationship because we all have influence. And there is a right way to deal with influence. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there is absolutely a wrong and unhealthy way to deal with the influence that we have. Yeah, it reminds me of a, a pastor I heard say once, what will you do, like pose yeah. the question, what will you do with the power given to you? And yeah. I think that's probably a great question to enter into this conversation with. Absolutely, because what we do with that influence, that power that's been given to all of us, reveals who we are and what's in our hearts. Um, and, and these next verses give us some very, very clear action steps. So let's look at this. Uh, Peter writes, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watch over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. 
You know, and I think for, for you and I, that's a heavy passage as fathers, as coaches and mentors and pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, what runs through your mind when you, when you hear that? Yeah, I think, I think you make a, a really good distinction there because it's, I mean, Peter's obviously writing to church leaders here, but we can carry yeah. this into a lot of different facets of our lives. And so when I think about those that I have influence over that are under my, my care, uh, that word shepherd jumps out right away. Yeah. Protect, lead, guide, those that are under your care. And I think it's an important word that Peter uses there when he says care. Um, like it, it reminds me of, I once heard someone say that an, an org chart is really a care chart. And, and I think that's, that's pretty significant so, too. Um, I've heard you, I don't mean to interrupt, but. Yes, you do. I've heard you, okay. <laughs> but I've heard you say that multiple times. Right. I mean, that's a quote that, you, that you're kind of known for. I've heard you say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I know what you mean, but I wanna make sure, especially for this as we're looking at this, I wanna make sure that, um, that I'm crystal clear and that we're all crystal clear on what you mean when you say that an org chart is really a care chart because that may not have been our experiences. Yeah, well, I think, so let's just take our roles as pastors. We have people yeah. that report to us, I mean, managers, bosses, whatever. We have people that report to us and we have an org chart that, we, that says this person reports up and this person reports up to this person. And we look at that societally as that's who I have authority over. Yeah. That quote really says it's a, it's a shift in thinking that those people that I have authority over are really just under my care. I have a responsibility to care for them, to make sure they don't feel anonymous, like make sure they have measurables that they can achieve, to make sure that um, they, they understand their relevance within the organization and within just life in general. And so it says like, I'm here to encourage, affirm, build up, equip, and lead you, uh, pro- like just shepherd, protect, guide, that's what it means to care. And yeah. that's our responsibility with those people that we're over. We have a responsibility to care for them. Yeah. So, and, and I think with that, Peter does a great job laying this out, with that whole concept of caring, it's not out of obligation. There's a willingness right. there. And willingness isn't forced. There's, there's a certain amount of, of joy and enthusiasm, preparation and eagerness that, that, that all comes with willingness. And then, and then when you're in positions of authority or influence. You, you don't pursue dishonest gain like Peter writes. Um, it's not so that you can get ahead or achieve a certain status or achievement, but, but be eager to serve. And, and, and if we're serving others, then they don't have to project. Like if we remember back to that noble quote I read earlier, yeah. they don't have to project their identity onto us for their own security or, or, or advancement or any of the things that people feel they have to do today. Um, because instead, instead of projecting their identity onto us, here's what you should think about me, here's what you should know about me, they'll be receiving from us and they won't feel the need to do that. Uh, and I think that's, that's what happens with humility and, and, and service, security shows up. Like think about yeah. any work environment or family environment or friendship environment, if you feel secure, uh, you have a sense of belonging and connectedness, um, contentedness, acceptance, inclusivity, like that's the sweet spot. That's where I want to be within an organization or within a peer group. And so I think, I think that's important. And, and Peter lays all that out here. And then he continues by saying, don't exercise lordship, which is, this is like the other side of the care chart. The org chart usually is like people exercise lordship over those entrusted to them. 
He's saying, don't do that. Don't overpower or hold in subjection those under your care. Be an example of this. And I think this is something we can't miss. Not only is this great insight from Peter for those um, that have people that they lead, it's great advice for older generations to younger generations. So boomers, Xers, millennials, any of us that have a generation younger than us, do not lord your power or influence over them. That's not what followers of Jesus do with their power. And, and I, just to close this thought, I love how Peter bookends this paragraph we're reading. And the first sentence is all about sharing in glory. And then the last sentence, he talks about glory again. You'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Yeah. And there's a reason that he uses that word glory there. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, um, I, I think that Peter knew that people who are in positions of authority um, can care deeply about mm -hmm. glory, yeah. uh, too deeply. And he says, he says, don't worry, it'll come. Glory is an Old Testament word that means weight or importance. Um, and Peter is telling us not to, not to seek glory for ourselves here, uh, not to seek our own importance on earth. Peter says, don't hunt for it here. Don't, don't let it be your motivation. Don't hunger for your own importance. And I think that's important. And I, and I would say personally that it's wise for us to be careful around people who hunger for glory, for their own importance. Yeah. Because those individuals, people in leadership that hunger for their own glory, um, they cause destruction. They cause pain wherever they go. And we need to be aware of that and be careful about that. Um, because the, the truth is, we've been given a, a chief shepherd in Jesus. And Jesus modeled humility and servant leadership and continues to model that for us. And all we have to do is look at Philippians 2, um, to see who Jesus is, what he gave up for us, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and what that means for us. Uh, Philippians tells us Jesus, who being in very nature God, made himself nothing to take the very nature of a servant. I, I think that's one of my favorite passages in yeah. all of scripture. And I think we we miss the significance of it when we just read through it. Like right. Jesus, who being in very nature God, he's God yeah. and he made himself nothing. He's top of the org chart. And he <laughs> made, made himself, himself nothing the bottom. Yeah. by taking on the very nature of a servant. Yeah. So good. And Peter doesn't stop there. Uh, he continues, verse five, he says, in the same way you who are younger, so he's talking about the, the elders and now he's talking to the younger. You who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. So those, those older people, the people who you may perceive as out of touch, mm -hmm. Peter says, listen to them. Not only listen to them, not only respect them, but he uses this word, submit to them. Yeah. And here, here's the truth. Years and years and years and years and years and years of life experience, sorry. Just, uh, just me? Just you, <laughs> and it's the beard. Um, <laughs> have led them, have led these people to where they are now. Yeah. So as long as what they're saying and doing is in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ, because Peter just laid that out for them, submit to them. Submit to the older generation. Now, Adrian, how, how easy is that? Like, like if you can remember back to when you were growing up, before the internet was a thing and like that is crazy. But what was it like for you to submit to yeah. the older generation? 
um, not easy. Uh, but I think, not to defend myself, I think it's not easy because that's part of being a, a sinful human in a fallen world. I mean, this is what got us kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Yeah. I mean, the reality is we didn't want to submit. We got tired of submitting to God. We didn't want God the Father to be our leader. And so in the temptation of, hey, wouldn't you like to try this feud? And then you could be like God and you could know good and evil and you could be in charge and you wouldn't have to submit. Man, we jumped and we said, give me some of that fruit. And so that's in us. That's in all of us. But I also would say that, you know, when I was younger at my worst, um, I didn't even try. Um, I think I just gave myself over to arrogance and rebellion. And so I would have a coach or a boss or a leader that would say, do this. And I would nod and smile knowing that was a bad idea. So I was just going to do something else. And I was just openly that's rebellious. That's yeah, healthy. that's healthy. <laughs> I, I think at my best, though, as I matured a little bit, um, I could see in my mentors and coaches and leaders that there was experience that God had given them. There was wisdom in what God had blessed them with. And so it was easier for me to get on board and mm-hmm. to play a healthy role on the team. Uh, but to be honest, I think most of the time I would submit, but it would be grudgingly. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time, I think I dragged my feet in my heart thinking, I don't want to do this. I don't even understand why I have to submit, but I knew that I wanted to obey Jesus. So it's like, all right, Jesus wants me to submit to my leadership. I don't want to do it. So I'm just going to drag my feet and I'm going to be a grump about it. Mm. Um, and I think that that's, that's unfortunate because I missed out. Um, how about you? Yeah, I think it's probably something similar, but... I think I was just always taught you submit to your elders yeah. and you, you respect them and, and you do what they say, whether it's in a work environment or just in general. Uh, but I think that I've had such good mentors and people that have gone before me that have invested in me and cared for me that showed me what mutual submission looks like. It's mm-hmm. like they gave me permission to submit or, or accessibility to submit to them because I knew that they cared for me and were serving me. And like, I think of my dad or my current mentor or Steve Madsen told me I had to say his name here. Uh, you got that. The, <laughs> no, but seriously, Steve's, Steve's great at this. Like he, he serves those, it's really a care chart. He serves yeah. and cares for those people that, that report to him and, are, and work for him. And, and I just have seen such great examples of this that it's, that mutual submission piece is exactly... That makes all the difference, doesn't it? It does, man. Because you see it and you're like, oh, that's what it looks like. Yeah. And so I'll, I, tr- kinda, I trust what you're going to say then. Well, And it kind of pulls out of you the desire mm-hmm. to like, oh, if you're willing to submit to me who doesn't know anything, now I really want mm-hmm. to follow your lead. Right. Because that's healthy. For sure. That's supernatural. And I think that's what Peter's talking about here as he addresses yeah. both the older and the younger. He's speaking to, to everyone. Um, th- like this next line is one of my favorite lines in the entire letter. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. Yeah. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. You know, in the original, in the original Greek, that phrase, all of you, means all <laughs> of you. Um, Older, younger, our context, you know, boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z. No one person or one group of people within the church family is exempt from what Peter says right here. All of you clothe yourselves in humility. 
And for real, I'll get into some Greek now because this is fascinating. The phrase clothe yourself that he uses here literally means to tie around in a knot. The, The noun form of this word means a servant's apron. So real quick, how many of you have worked in the food service industry, like you've been a waiter, server, uh, waitress, um, or maybe you still are. If that's you, just let us know in the chat because we want to just commend you. Because uh, have you ever worked in food service? I, yeah, my dad owned a restaurant and I worked there briefly until my dad fired me, but I don't really oh, want to talk about so that. so you weren't very good at it. No, not according <laughs> it's to my dad. It's interesting that both of us have been fired by our parents for different jobs. Interesting, but not surprising. Interesting, but telling, I think. <laughs> yeah. um, so anyway, if, like like you and so many of you that are that are attending today, uh, God bless you, seriously. Yeah. Because by the very nature of your job, yeah. you understand exactly what Peter is speaking to here, and I have the the utmost respect for you, uh, Adrian. Like. I've never, unlike you, I've never worked in the food service industry before, but there was one night where as a youth pastor, 15 years ago, we, our youth ministry volunteered to serve at a fundraiser. And our job, with a bunch of wealthy people there, our job was to fill up the waters and bring the food and do all the, do all the things. Um, and I thought it was going to be just such a fun night. It wasn't, <laughs> not even a little bit. Like, I don't know if in my life I've ever been so angry people are so annoying in that setting. Like if you're a waiter or, or waitress, you, I'm sure you know this, people can be so, so frustrating. Like my fork is dirty, you have a napkin, clean it off. I need ranch for my fries. No, you don't, you don't need that. My steak is a little overcooked. Your face is about to be a little, like I get, so, someone at one point snapped at me and I was like, I'm gonna fight someone. And I'm the pastor of these students. By, by the end of the night, I was like sitting in the corner, just rocking back and forth going, you're a pastor, you're a pastor, you're a pastor. I'm beginning to see why it's good that you did not go into food <laughs> yeah, service. That's, but again, yeah. this is why I have so much respect for people that do this. Yeah. Because, man, you guys, you guys, by the end of the night, when I see someone, by the end of the night, I realize that from then on, when I see someone wear one of those aprons, it's taken on a whole different meaning because just by, just by putting that apron on, it's the act of putting on humility because you know yeah. what you're in for that night. It's, it's like putting on this posture of uh, the willingness to serve and, and submit. It, it takes what Pastor Becky taught us last week on self-denial and expands that to our next step, humility, service, which is exactly how Peter pushed the older and the younger generation to act toward each other. Yeah, and I love, I love that Peter picks that word, that phrase. I mean, honestly, I don't think Peter was just coincidentally picking the word apron. Yeah. Um, he intentionally, strategically chose that word because this is Peter who witnessed Jesus wrapping an apron around his waist, kneeling down, getting a basin of water and, and scrubbing the dirt and the grime and the mm-hmm. sand mm-hmm. Uh, off of his feet. Um, this is, this is Peter who, who heard what Jesus said, who was there experiencing it. And you know, it, this Friday, this Friday, we celebrate that. We celebrate what, what Peter experienced and what the apostle John experienced and wrote about in his gospel. When John says that, Hey, Jesus knew what was coming after the last supper. Jesus knew what was going to happen in the garden of Gethsemane. And he wrote that because of that Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing 
and wrapped a towel around his waist, mm -hmm. an apron. An apron, yeah. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him, mm -hmm. the apron again. And, and Peter is here trying to communicate. You know, as, as people who communicate, mm -hmm. we will pour over what's the right imagery, what's the right words, what's a, a, an analogy or a story I can use to get people to understand this. And I think Peter is wrestling through this and he thinks, how do I paint this picture for the church? Mm -hmm. And this is what he comes up with. Peter is using that phrase and that imagery to lock in our minds mm -hmm. that we are to follow Jesus's example. I, I love the picture that paints. It's like Peter's like sitting there agonizing. What, how do I communicate this? How do I communicate right. this? And he, re he remembers back, he pictures himself back at, with Jesus at his feet doing this. And he's like, I know the word to use. Yeah. And he writes it right here. Right. So good. And, it, and it's emotional. Mm -hmm. I mean, having someone serve you like that is emotion. And the emotions came to him. And, and I'm sure he remembered. Jesus asked him, you know, do you understand what I've done for you? Yeah, right after he washes his feet, yeah. right? washes his feet and says, do you understand what I just mm -hmm. did for you? And, and he would remember that, that Jesus tells him, hey, you will be blessed if you do it too. Uh, that's powerful. And, and I know for us in our time, in our age, it's hard for us to understand that we're here to serve. Uh, it's hard for us to understand that. It's, it takes some time for us to understand that and then to get on board and to actually do it. And so I, I don't know, Peter may not have understood that night exactly what Jesus was saying, but here at this point, mm -hmm. when Peter is writing this letter, he is clearly telling us, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Put on the servant's apron. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this isn't a long letter. Mm -hmm. um, why do you think Peter mentions pride and humility over and over again. Yeah, I, I just, I'm still like processing the picture you just painted because I think it's so powerful. But, but I, think, I think Peter writes like this because pride is, pride is so opposite of Jesus's personality. Yeah. Like you just, taught, you just painted this, this picture that Peter's remembering and, and it's Jesus, the God who made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, washing people's feet Pride is so, so against who Jesus is and who God is. God really, really doesn't like pride. And we see that just how Peter continues. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Yeah. That, that word opposes means that God sets himself against. Opposes means to set against. So God sets himself against the proud. And I'm not sure we, we really believe that. Yeah. Like, like I, I think we, we still act proud, we talk proud, we attack people online who don't agree with us, and that usually comes from a place of pride. I think, I think we believe today that God is slightly annoyed with pride. <laughs> He's like, you know, I just wish they weren't so... It's one of his idiosyncratic... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, keep going like with that word, please. Uh, <laughs> I think, but I think that's what, like, it's like, God's like, I just wish they weren't yeah. so darn prou proud. So darn, so darn prideful. You got me all mixed up uh, now. Um, but I don't know if we know that God or believe that God is opposed to the proud. No. You know, if, the, if, if the church, if we really want to experience what God wants to do in us and through us and experience all that he has for us, we can't find ourselves in, stuck in cycles of pride. Mm. 
We can't. Like God, God wants nothing to do with that. Don't miss this. He will set himself against us. Pride pushes people looking for God away from him. God hates pride. It has nothing to do with God. I mean, the very reason Christianity exists is because in humility, God became flesh. In humility, God became obedient to death on a cross. And in humility, God invites us to experience resurrection with him. It's like Madeline Langle says, humility is throwing oneself away in complete concentration on something or someone else. That's what Jesus did. And that's what he calls us to. The defining work of Jesus is expressed in humility, considering others before he considered himself. God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Yeah. I, that's the, what a beautiful image that the God of the universe so humbled himself as to serve and care for us. Um, you know, remind this book by N.T. Wright, Simply Christian. I know he's one of your favorite theologians, one of mine as well. Uh, there's this quote that is so powerful and so applicable for us. He says, at the heart of Christian ethic is humility. At the heart of its parodies, pride. Different roads with different destinations. And the destinations color the character of those who travel by them. I, I love how N.T. Wright talks about humility and pride as roads and destinations um, because they both are, but they lead in opposite directions. They go to different places. Um, you know, and it reminds me a couple of weeks ago, I was going somewhere, I was driving someplace and I, I plugged in the address into my Google Maps um, and I didn't realize it, but I had punched in something wrong. And so my Google Maps kept on telling me to go the wrong way. Over and over again, it was saying, turn here, go this way. You know, and I noticed that my phone pretty early on, I noticed that my phone was giving me weird directions. But at first I have to be honest, I, I followed what the voice was saying because I thought maybe this will be quicker. Maybe this is a shortcut. But the thing is, I was meeting someone in Hayward, and I've been to Hayward. You've been there before. Yeah, I know how to get to <laughs> Hayward. Um, but as the voice kept telling me to turn around or get out through, I started to get confused. And, you know, the, the Google Maps lady's voice, is, she just always sounds so confident mm -hmm. that I, I started to second guess myself. And I thought, you know what, maybe I don't know how to get to Hayward. <laughs> maybe I haven't been going to Hayward at all. I've been going someplace else. Um, but eventually... I started to realize, no, I know how to get there. I'm on the right track. And so whenever the Google voice lady would come on and tell me to turn around, I would just ignore her. Um, I think N.T. Wright is saying that if, if we don't have our hearts, if we don't have our Google Maps set right, we're heading for trouble. Hmm. If we don't come against pride, it'll keep giving us wrong and destructive directions. Um, and we have to make sure that our hearts are set to humility because pride is the absolute opposite direction of where we're intended and called to go. Uh, pride directs us to turn inward and think about ourself. And humility guides us to be outward and think about others. That's, that's so good. Pride turns inward, humility turns outward. Yeah. And if we don't understand that, and if we haven't set our hearts our Google Maps to that, we're not going to know which way to go. We're not going to know how to respond to people. Mm -hmm. and, and when our directions keep on leading us back to ourselves, 
we are just naturally going to lack fulfillment and purpose. Uh, but when our directions, when our heart is tuned to reach outward, that's when we understand what Jesus described as the good life. Uh, that's when we start to recognize our purpose and fulfillment because those things aren't internal. They don't come from inside us. They come from him. Hmm. And when we look at different age groups or generations, as we have been in this conversation, when we look at those generations through a prideful lens, um, I think we miss out on our good, our own purpose and fulfillment because, because of pride, we lose out on being a blessing to others as well as being blessed by them because it's never a one-way street. For sure. Yeah. You know, and what, what pride does is pride severely limits our ability to hear what needs to be heard. It limits our ability to give what needs to be given, to do what needs to be done, and then to say what needs to be said. Oh, that's so good. That's so memorable too. Like it, we should keep that in front of us. Pride limits our ability to, to hear what needs to be heard, to do what needs to be done, give what needs to be given, say, say what, what needs, needs to be, be said. said. Yeah. yeah, and instead of doing those things, instead of being able to do those things, we make assumptions about the people who may need us. Um, but what I love about that picture you painted of tying on that apron, so when we tie on that apron to serve, it makes us listen, because we know. You don't show up to work at a restaurant, put on an apron and go, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do today. <laughs> yeah. You know you're there to serve. Mm -hmm. And when we put on that apron, we know that we're there to listen, to do, to say what needs to be said and hear what needs to be heard without any assumptions. There's clarity that that brings. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, Patrick Lencioni in his book, The Ideal Team Player says, a humble person is quick to point out the contributions of others. They are slow to seek attention for their own gain. They share credit, emphasize team over self, and define success collectively over individually. Man, that is exactly what the church needs to be. Yeah. And that's exactly what Peter is telling us to be. Yeah. So with all of that that we've just talked about, mm -hmm. how, do we how do we relate to other generations with that in mind? Well, yeah, I mean, I think if we wanna be a multi-generational church, which we do, yeah. As we look at the differences from one generation to the next, I think we have to commit to hearing what needs to be heard, giving what needs to be given, doing what needs to be done, and saying what needs to be said. But that last part, I think this is important, saying what needs to be said does not begin with correction or rebuke. <laughs> like that's just like, oh, I just gotta tell them what they need to hear. Yeah. I, like if I were to ask you, what's, what's one thing you would say to the generation that you have the most angst about? Like what's one thing you would say to them? Maybe it's an older generation, maybe it's a younger generation. If your first thought jumps to what they should or shouldn't be doing, like if they would just, or if they could just stop, like if that's where your mind goes, if, if that's what happens, I'm guessing that if they would start or stop doing whatever that thing is, it would benefit you in some way. That's what it's been, that's what I've recognized for me. It's like, the generation that I have the most angst about, when I think about them, I go, if they just do this, it would make things so much easier for me or for people like me or in my age group. And I've recognized that that right there is rooted in pride. It's all about me getting advancement or me moving forward or me getting what I need. And I think it's what limits those generations from saying what they actually need from me or from us. Yeah. But putting on the apron, like you said, it invites people to say what they need to say and then responding accordingly. 
So this week, I want to encourage you to reach out to someone older or reach out to someone younger and ask them, hey, what do you want to say to your generation? And if, if they start with a, well, if you just, or if, <laughs> then that's fine. Because you're asking. You're starting with, I need to hear what needs to be heard. And then I'm going to do something about it. Because as we develop those relationships and we build those bridges, we won't just stay in our lanes and get grumpy about what they are doing or aren't doing or even make assumptions about those things yeah. like you mentioned. But instead, we'll, we'll begin to look more like the church Peter writes about here when he says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. And here's the reason why we need to do that. Yeah. A few verses later, Peter writes, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, you know what's cool about lions? Um, well, there's a lot that's a lot cool about things. lions. Yeah, there's lions. a lot of things that are cool about lions. <laughs> but I love the way that they hunt. I love that they hunt as a pack, that there's teamwork and strategy that goes into the way they hunt. Um, you know, around here in the Bay Area, we don't have much experience with lions. Thank God. Yeah, that's a good thing. You know, <laughs> unless we go to the zoo, we don't even see them. But in Israel, where Peter grew up, and then in Asia Minor, where he sent this letter, there were still lions at this time. Lions still were around. Um, and so these people had seen lions. They had watched lions. They had to be careful of lions. They knew about lions. And so they would have understood what Peter is talking about. And it's important that Peter says that the devil is like a roaring lion. He doesn't just say he's a lion. He says a roaring lion because that's specific. Um, see, when lions hunt their prey, uh, like gazelle or antelope, they want to use the least amount of energy to get the most amount of food. Um, it's like me and Costco. I, you know, I don't waste time in the pharmacy aisle or the furniture aisle. There's no food in there. You know, I want to head straight to the slice of You're pizza. You're getting that $1.50 hot dog. The $1.50 roll. Polish dog is what I'm after. I don't want to waste any energy. The lines are the same way. So I'm a lot like a lion. I, that's, I've always thought that yeah, about you. Thank you. Um, but the thing that's interesting is that the older lions have the loudest roar, the scariest roar. They may not have all their teeth. They may not be running after an antelope, um, but they have the loudest and scariest roar. And so what they do is the old, loud, scary lions will come around one side of the herd of antelope or gazelle, mm. and they'll sneak around one side while the other, the young lions, sneak around to the other side. The young lions that are still fast, that can still chase down a gazelle, um, they're on the other side, and then what happens is the roaring starts. Hmm. And the roaring is loud, and it's scary. Uh, it's terrifying. And that roaring drives the, the gazelles right into the waiting jaws of the young lions that are waiting for them. You know, the, the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion. Let's understand the role that he's in. He's trying to scare us. He's trying to terrify us to make us run to whatever false comfort we can find. Yeah, think about that. The devil wants to scare us into a trap, and that trap that he's scaring us into is our own self-reliance and pride. Hmm. And, and the devil knows pride well. Um, scripture tells us that that's why he got thrown out of heaven. Uh, he knows better than most how much God, the creator of the universe, comes against the proud. Mm. And I think that's why it's so important that we have the right directions 
in our hearts, in our Google Maps. Um, because if pride is the road that we're on, we're heading, like I said, in a dangerous and wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we give in to pride, when we give in to that, that rising feeling of I'm just going to do this myself or I'm better than this person or I'm going to respond in pride, that's just falling into the devil's trap. We're running right where he wants us to go and that's not where we want to be. Mm-hmm. It's destructive and dangerous for us and those around us. So, so what do we do? Yeah. Well, I mean... First of all, I think that analogy you just gave us, the, the imagery of the lions is great, but it also is a great, on the other side of it, it's a great illustration for how an older generation, younger generation works really Could well work together. together, yeah. Um, but I, I, think, I think the biggest thing is that if we, are to, if we are to clothe ourselves with humility for one another and to not separate ourselves from the herd, that's when we'll be able to hear what needs to be heard and give what needs to be given and do what needs to be done and say what needs to be said all while knowing that we're under the care, protection, guidance, leadership of the chief shepherd. Mm. And so if we're able to do that, then that's, there's those moments, and this is what I would challenge all of us in, encourage all of us in this week. When you feel that pride welling up inside, when you feel that thing like, oh, I just want, I need to take care of me. Um, When you start hearing that roar and you're going, I got to rely on myself. That's when we put on the apron. Like, think of that imagery. I'm putting on an apron. And when I put on an apron, I know that I'm posturing myself in service, surrender, and humility. And let's do that regularly. Because as we do, I think that's when we will be able to fearlessly run toward the roar. We won't run away from it into our own self-reliance. We'll run toward it. Because the church that we will continue to aim to be at Cornerstone Fellowship is a collective of all generations on mission together. And you better believe that a community like that is a powerful force of love, humility, grace, compassion, and purpose set in a cultural context that is so desperate for all of those things. So together, let's commit for one another to put on the apron. And I'll close with the last couple verses from this section, Peter writes, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And that's First Peter 5. We just wrapped yeah. that up over a few weeks. And I encourage you, this is so important for the direction of our church. If you missed a week, go back and watch it. Um, or if you want a refresher on one of the passages, I encourage you to do that as well. Um, but we're excited to, to get into Easter next yeah. week. And uh, with that, Adrian, can you pray for us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, a little different this week. In the book, Be the Bridge, Latasha Morrison has this prayer, this great prayer about humility. Um, and vulnerability. And so I'd like for us all to pray together. So would you all pray with me? Jesus, um, we love you and we thank you. Jesus, we ask that you would come into our brokenness and our lives with your love that heals all. Consume our pride and replace it with humility and vulnerability. Allow us to make space for your correction and redemption. Allow us to bow down with humble hearts, hearts of repentance. Bind us together in true unity and restoration. Jesus, we thank you for being our true shepherd. We thank you for your humility. We ask that we would follow your example and 
tie on the apron of a, of a servant. Uh, we thank you that you did that for us, and we pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Well, we love you. Thank you so much for attending church this week. We'll see you soon.